At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Two steps to Michigan taking the final step as a football program. Next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than a team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Waits for it, hit, caught. This is no time for that. In the pocket and a sack. Tim Jamison. Brady gets terrific. Throws it, and a touchdown night again. Schultz. Just before Brazil got him, and a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle, caught by Kohler to five on his feet, touchdown Michigan. On its way, it's good. He's 5'7", 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan, but Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schindler. And here's your first play, pressure coming, second. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. championship again because we're going to play as a team and when we play as a team and the old season is over you and I know it's going to be Michigan again Michigan. I'm Steve Dace. Welcome to this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. So this season, we saw the Wolverines do something we, frankly, didn't think we'd ever see under Jim Harbaugh, maybe ever again, because as I've chronicled before in recent episodes, I kind of lost my faith as a fan. But Michigan finally did it. The Wolverines did take the next step. That championship step, hence the shirt I'm wearing here this week. Hence Michigan finishing number three in the final AP poll. The Wolverines highest ranking in the final AP poll since the national championship season of 1997. It's the first time this century that Michigan has finished in the top five. The last time, Tom Brady's senior year, 1999. Michigan finished fifth. It's the 16th overall top five finish, though, for Michigan. So it's not like that's foreign territory around here. It just seemed to be uh, forbidden territory around here over the last couple of decades. So Jim Harbaugh did it. 
And just to put this aside right now, who knows? Maybe it'll be settled by the time uh, you will watch this. But I do believe that Jimmy will be back coaching the Michigan football team next year, regardless of the current NFL speculation. So for the conversation we're about to have, we're just going to stipulate to that fact. Obviously, the calculus changes if Jimmy were to decide to move on. But... Michigan did it. Finally, Harbaugh did it. Michigan took the next step as a program and went from unranked in the preseason to number three at the end of the season. So many accolades. We ran them all down recently on the program. It would take too long to do it again, but don't think I'm not tempted. But now the question remains, how do we take the final step? It's very clear. If you look at the fourth quarter that Georgia played against Alabama, And the first quarter, it played against Michigan. It's very clear that the Bulldogs are better and by an order of magnitude than any other team in college football this season. 19 five-star recruits and not a hole on the roster, provided Stetson Bennett at quarterback plays well. At least with Alabama, there's a couple of places where you're like, eh, not so sure they're great there. Corner. I'm not so sure they're great there. I mean, they're Alabama. They got really good players, but don't know that they're elite at corner. Don't know that it was an elite year on the offensive line at Alabama, Evan Neal aside. Georgia, though, you look at their roster, it really just came down to the quarterback. As everywhere else, they looked pretty elite, and I think that will bear itself out here at the end of April when the NFL draft comes calling. But how far away is Michigan? What do the Wolverines have to do to take the final step as a program now and become not just a playoff contender, but a national champion to be. I think there are two steps Michigan has to take in order to take that final step. Let's start with number one. Finally develop a first-round caliber NFL quarterback. The Wolverines have not even had a draftable quarterback here. I, mean, I guess if you want to count Jake Rudock, he played one season and got drafted in the penultimate round. You'd have to go all the way back to Chad Henney, who last played football here 15 years ago. So he also, though, wasn't considered to be a first-round draft pick, even though I still think he might be in the NFL somewhere. Just won a Super Bowl champion uh, ring with the Chiefs a couple of years ago. But that's that's way too long ago. A championship-level quarterback is usually going to be, not always, but usually in this day and age, a first-round caliber quarterback. Now, that's unless you're Georgia and you've got 19 five-star prospects. But if you're if you're wondering how Alabama beat this team in the SEC championship game, it's simple. Alabama had uh, Bryce Young, a five-star quarterback, and Georgia didn't. It's just that simple. Now, Michigan does have a five-star quarterback waiting in the wings in J.J. McCarthy. Can they develop him into a first-round caliber NFL quarterback? If so, that's the clo- that's the that's the the simplest way for Michigan to take that final step because what we're going to discuss next comes with a little bit more complications. But can Jim Harbaugh, who still has not had a quarterback drafted, that he recruited at Michigan. Can he develop a guy that's a first-round pick? If so, then that opens up the field. That gives you the explosive offense. That's where Clemson was with Deshaun Watson. And remember, as great as he has been in the NFL, I think he was only like the 12th overall pick in the first round. But that 2016 Clemson team, even though it didn't have close to the overall talent that Alabama did, ended up winning the national championship because it had Deshaun Watson and Alabama didn't. So that's the first step, and with J.J. McCarthy on the roster, and then if you look at 
the next two recruiting classes. You've got, I think it's Dante Moore, uh, C.J. Carr, Lloyd Carr's grandson. Two of the best high school quarterbacks in the country are in Michigan's backyard. Sign one or both of them in those respective classes to go along with J.J. McCarthy. And the odds go up that you have finally developed an NFL first-round caliber quarterback. And I think that's the first and most important key to taking that final step. And it's the simplest one. It's pretty cut and dried. Either you can acquire that player and develop them or not. The second step, though, not quite as cut and dried. I'll just put it bluntly. Drop the bag via NIL. I think I saw this morning uh, that Kirby Smart talked about getting their financial house in order for Georgia's recruiting class. I mean, if you look at what the boosters just did at Texas A&M, by some measures, they just signed the the highest-rated recruiting class in the history of Internet recruiting rankings. As much money as those kinds of institutions have, and A&M especially has, a crap ton. The kind of booster package and conglomerate that a Michigan could put together Uh, would be unrivaled amongst public universities in America. You're talking about the largest living alumni body. You're talking about an alumni body that boasts not one, but two uh, team owners in major league sports franchises, and on and on and on and it goes. I mean, the the kind of money that they pay down south with Bubba the Love Sponge, uh, you know, booster, is nothing. It's chicken feed. Combined, when, when compared to the kind of money that the alumni bases at places like a Michigan or a Notre Dame bring to the table with their elite level alumni. Unleash that money cannon. Unleash that money train. Now, it's going to come with some things that Jim Harbaugh doesn't like to do, which is more access. Right? Boosters probably have way too much access to a program down south, but a small price to pay for not having to go up against a roster with 14, uh, I'm sorry, 19 five-star prospects on it again for a playoff game. This is this is now a game that Michigan has shown so far it is hesitant to play, but it has all the resources to play it maybe better than anybody else. So unleash that NIL program, start dropping bags, and a different level of recruiting from a you know number seven, number eight, number nine, number ten recruiter every year to a top five recruiter every year, and that's that next step issue that we're talking about. Suddenly, that talent pool becomes available to you. But is Michigan willing to do that, or does it still view themselves even with essentially legalized bagmen now above the fray, maybe? But uh, in the end, uh, that's what it's going to take to win a national championship around here, unless you've got John Elway, Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, Andrew Luck, kind of a quarterback, and then you can close the gap that way. Hard to have more than one of those guys. Heck, at Michigan, it's been hard to have even one of those guys. So then that brings us to solution number two. Start dropping the bag. Well, the calendar is about to turn to basketball season. And if you like sports handicapping and you like Michigan podcast, a great way to marry those two is to support us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. College basketball last year, we were 59 games over 500. We hit 56% of the games in the NCAA tournament. We correctly advised you to take Baylor at 6-1 to one to win the NCAA tournament, which they did. We had a very good college basketball season last year, especially down the stretch, and we're loaded for bear now for the new season as well. And yes, 
We'll continue on with our football handicapping as well. So make sure you support us just $5 a month. Who knows? It might win you some money when you go to patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. Time now for the 10-minute war, which means we welcome in perhaps the one and only, and maybe we found them, the one and only reasonable Bucknut he is, good friend Mark Rogers, who himself has a fantastic channel here on YouTube. You can look at it, watch it, uh, get informed by it. The voice of college football, just look for Mark Rogers right here on YouTube. And Mark, good to have you back, brother. How are you? Doing well, Steve. Um, Our college football season is in the books, and Wow, we've got an SEC as the national champion. How about four teams that started the season unranked in the AP poll finished in the top 10? Something like half the poll started the season unranked and finished the season ranked. I think we learned that with the exception of what happened at the very top with the teams that made the playoff, to completely just throw out whatever data sample we got out of that COVID year beyond those four teams. Your thoughts? Well, I would agree with that, and you've covered that ground and covered it very well in regards to uh, that data not necessarily being as accurate as it has been in past years. But we've even seen this as a trend during the college football playoff era where we've got a bead on the very top teams in the country, the elite five or six. But then past that, for as predictable as that portion of college football is, the rest of college football is pretty unpredictable. I looked at preseason predictions versus um, the final rankings and standings in college football and more so the standings than the rankings and found that typically we've got uh, anywhere from 18 to 24 teams in three consecutive years prior to the COVID year who either gained or lost three games in the standings from one year to the other in the power five. So that's a third of the power five. That's a lot of variance there for sure. So we, we started the show off with a theme this week, as we typically do. And, and that theme is, what does Michigan need to do to take the final step as a program? It, it took the next step this year. Uh, it went from pretty good to being a championship program, finishing number three, highest finish for the program since the 1997 national championship. It's the first top five finish this century. They hadn't done it since Tom Brady's senior year in 1999 when they finished number five. It's the 16th top five finish though in school history. So it's not like this is, you know, something they're not used to accomplishing. It just looked like they weren't going to accomplish it anytime in the near future heading into this year because it had been so long. So, so they break that seal and they take the next step. And at the time we're recording this, we're assuming Jim Harbaugh will be back as Michigan coach, and I believe that he will be based on what I'm hearing, but we'll see. But let's just make that assumption for now. I think there are two things that Michigan needs to do uh, in order to take the final step now and win a national championship. One of them is simple. The other is far more complicated. The, the simple step is is to finally develop a first-round caliber quarterback. I mean, I, and that could essentially create a situation now where you imagine Oklahoma, but with like a top 20, 25 kind of a defense where you've got the guy, whether that's J.J. McCarthy, whether that's guys that are coming up in the next two recruiting classes in Michigan's own backyard who are going to be big time national recruits. A lot of people think Dante Moore is the second best quarterback in college and for the next class other than Arch Manning. C.J. Carr, Lloyd Carr's kid, I think just was the top junior quarterback at the U.S. Army All-American game. So have one one of those three guys, and I don't know that you can sign both Moore and Carr, but you're probably going to sign at least one of them, 
All right. So have one of those guys be that guy. Because right, when you have a first-round caliber quarterback, the margin for error that that presides over the rest of the team, we saw it in the SEC championship game. All right, You saw last night that when those weapons were taken away and now Bryce Young can't chuck and duck his way past Stetson Bennett to win, everywhere else on the field, and eventually Georgia was the one that was the Boer constrictor, they were the better football team on virtually every other position group on the field. So unless you can recruit at that level, and we're going to get to that in the next one, the current level you're recruiting at, it's a little bit like college basketball, uh, where you can be a top eight or nine uh, recruiter, but if you've got a great point guard, say Michigan State, they don't quite recruit at the Duke-Kentucky level, but they have a pretty good point guard most years. If you can do that at quarterback with your current recruiting base, then add a first-round caliber quarterback, that is one key to unlock that final step. Your thoughts on that first suggestion? Well, my first thought is that I've been mesmerized by how good you look in that Big Ten championship T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> Steve, do you really want to? Do you really think uh, this program can elevate to national championship status, or should we just go with Bo Schembechler's adage that the Big Ten is everything and just win the Big Ten? Boy, because that climb from eight and four fringe top twenty-five status to number three in the country is a monumental one mm-hmm. and substantial one, but the next jump to win two playoff games against the likes of what we saw last night is monumental. So you hit on the most important position on the field, of course. And I think our best example over recent years during the college football playoff era would be the Clemson Tigers, who uh, before they were able to recruit at the Alabama, Ohio state level. I used this example, the 2016 team with Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Yes. So you've got a top, 12 roster in the country. I believe their team talent ranking for one of those championship years was only, I think it was the first time they made it to the championship game was only 13 and they had Deshaun Watson at quarterback. So that makes up a ton of ground against Jake Coker, who never of course played in the NFL and an Alabama team that was just flat out better. So it's the most important position and they've got a guy at head coach who certainly knows the position at the highest level. Um, and, and whatever supplementary coaching development is required past that, uh, that is the, the position to uh, cure a lot of ills. So, for example, if, if, if Andrew Luck, the year that he's the number one overall pick in the NFL, if he's the quarterback on this Michigan football team, we still can't sit here and say for for certain that they beat Georgia, but I think you and I can say for certain the game is not 34-11. to 11. It's far more interesting than that. Yeah, it's more interesting than that. And it uh, probably is a better approach than going out like Kirby Smart does and winning it the hard way. You take your your five, eight, three-star walk-on and you get it done that way. Right. Uh, but, of course, they're loaded everywhere else. All right. uh, yeah, I just got to think that uh, quarterback is the place to be. And maybe J.J. McCarthy's that guy. Again, I'm going to go back to something that I stated early in the 2021 season with Michigan football that I thought the handling of the quarterback situation was, I'm not going to say brilliant, that's a bit of a a stretch, but it it was a smart way to approach it to get J.J. the reps against good teams in meaningful spots, but not compromise Cade's status as the team leader. So this, so I think you and I agree that step's kind of, it's not easy, but it's a simple step. That's pretty, that one's pretty cut and dry. All right. And, and chances are, whether it's JJ McCarthy or Dante Moore or CJ Carr and ensuing classes, if you can't do it with one of those three guys, you're just not going to do it here. So that one seems pretty cut and dry. 
The second option is a little bit more complicated, particularly here north of the Mason-Dixon line. Just start dropping bags. I mean, that's... You've, you've, you've openly got Kirby Smart on television this morning, openly thanking getting their financial house in order. I mean, everybody knows what Texas A&M just did with NIL. They, their boosters put that arguably historically great class together for them. And now A&M's got quite an alumni base and an endowment program. But as I've mentioned before, the average SEC team, even though, even though their boosters have a lot of cash, is, has nothing compared to the endowments and alumni bases, places like Michigan, Penn State, and Notre Dame bring to the table. And a lot of that just sits on mothballs. All right? So mobilize that. Just start dropping bags so that the next time you play Georgia, it's not 19 five-star prospects to your four. Start leveling the playing field that way. That's the other option because it's completely legal now. So just start doing that. Now, administratively, uh, Michigan still wants to largely pretend that it is 2005, and it's not. Okay, but that is that's the other option to get there is to just start dropping bags. So going back to the Clemson example, Dabo Sweeney says it all the time. He said that we looked around the country and said, do we truly want to be an elite football program? Do we want to be known as a football power? And we're going to have to do everything that it possibly takes from the and it's just not a football thing it's just not a football program thing hire a great football coach let him hire a staff no it has to start from the top and on down and now that's been exasperated amplified by this nil that it goes well beyond uh, the walls of the football building at any university to compete in this day and age. So in addition to just flat out money, and I don't know if Michigan's there. I don't know because of what you just stated and you know, the, the, the landscape so much better than I do, but I get, I see mixed results in regards of what they showed us uh, last se- season during the pandemic and where their football commitment was versus what they showed us during the off season leading into the 21 season where they seemed a little bit more committed to football. Although that may have just been an adjustment of, of, you know, giving Jim Harbaugh an ultimatum, basically saying, you know, step up and, and win or you're out. And and that's not something that's not going to be done at other places. I don't know if they've shown us the football commitment um, that it requires to, to do this. So, the, the money's one thing, so the money is a requirement, but I also think there's a, a level of creativity that's probably needed by forward-thinking type people who understand NIL, understand what's going on in this world just in general, the economic landscape of crypto and metaverse and NFTs mm-hmm. and all of that. Get people like that involved. <clears throat> Uh, they can create ways to generate revenue and draw in student athletes that understand that language. I completely wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think that'll be something to monitor moving forward. Final thing before we let you go a little bit off the beaten path, but still in the same subject matter, uh, the talks on expanding the college football playoff appear to be completely stalled. And here's what I think. I think, I think our league is driving this. I think, I think that when the SEC went out and got Oklahoma and Texas after the original format expansion was announced, that it seemed too cute and a power play by the SEC to essentially turn this thing into half of the teams every year from their league. And now they've just gone out and added two of the 10 winningest programs of all time uh, in addition to the power league that they already have. 
And I think that particularly at the Big Ten, um, where you've got a major television partner in Fox, there is a I think what's driving this is a the stall because I keep seeing um, sports writers say things like, don't these other leagues know they're just going to face two SEC teams every year? I don't think it's about that. I, I think this is about delaying the expansion until uh, the monolithic control of SEC ESPN over the sport can be diluted, if not outright dethroned, by bringing in more television partners like Fox, Amazon, others. And so I think this is a delay, stall tactic, in order to get there. Because they all agree they want expansion. And I, I just don't believe whether those those half of those teams are automatic qualifiers or not. Whether it, it, it's... It would maybe change the outcome of one or two teams, the original proposal to what the Big Ten wants every year. And there's no guarantee that that would even be a Big Ten team that would benefit from that. Okay, To me, what's driving this is the Big Ten has a great desire to dilute the power that and control monolithically that SEC ESPN has over the sport, and they're trying to delay it until additional TV partners can bid on this. And I know you, this is an area where you have a little experience. You come out of that world. What do you think? Well, I think that the um, the Big Ten is fighting an uphill battle. We all know that, and we're going to talk more of the recruiting aspect next week. Uh, but um, certainly they're positioning themselves and maybe partnering once again with the Pac-12 because part of the um, disagreement and the alternate proposal comes from the Pac-12 as well, which is trying to protect its champion uh, and give it an automatic berth, which you would think would be automatic based on the top six conferences reaching the playoff, but um, that has come under question in recent years uh, with the deterioration of the Pac-12. So um, that is certainly something that uh, is a solid philosophy on your part that the Big Ten is, is um, I got to think that there's something else in play, but I'm not necessarily coming up with it in regards to, yeah, delaying all this. Um, and maybe just the fact that they want to show the SEC that it's not controlling the sport, that they want uh, what they want and that they can make a power play and get what they want as well. I, I think that, that it may be as simple as a portion of that, just showing that we, we have a hand in this as well. We have a major voice uh, that's just as strong as the SEC. And one way you do that is you leverage your television partners into that process. Uh, instead. And I, I don't know, there's a lot of talk, you know, the, the, all the SEC chants and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's funny, I'm down south several times a year with what I do with my day job. I don't ever see people wearing SEC t-shirts, SEC hats. Okay. I think a lot of that is just a, is a sport, is a college sports version of a virtue signal and a meme, but we'll see how serious everybody is about that for the next three years when they've got 16 teams and all those big brands and only two of them are going to the playoff every year and the rest of them are all playing a bunch of postseason games that most of their own players don't even care about and programs like Texas and Oklahoma might be finishing 6th, 7th, or 8th in the conference. See what I'm saying? That 6th, 7th, or 8th looks a lot different when you're only getting two teams in a playoff as opposed to when you're getting five or six, if you know what I'm saying, brother. Well, I know what you're saying, and uh... – for as much as I want an expanded playoff uh, for the competitive aspect of what's on the field and to get a rightful champion that's earned the playoff spot and to get representation from all the leagues, that's under 
reasonable circumstances. That's mm -hmm. minus NIL. That's yep, minus players opting out. Yep. And all of that distorts the field and what we cherish about postseason football and college football that may further deteriorate anything outside the playoff. And consider this. We saw a number of games affected by opt-outs, of course, but the Peach Bowl in particular, Kenny Pickett, Kenneth Walker, the two headliners, consider this. They opted out of one bowl game, and people get a little bit startled. Hey, it's a Peach Bowl or it's a Rose Bowl. It's, it's the most important bowl game outside the playoff. Consider what would be facing these players in a 16-team playoff where they would consider, okay, for us to accomplish the ultimate and win the championship, you're asking us to play three games? Well, I would be willing to put my neck on the line for one game, but I'm not so sure that they're not going to opt out for a three in a three game scenario. Good stuff, Mark. As always, man, we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Take care. All right, Steve. Good to see you. You bet. This week's Twitter poll results. We asked you, who do you believe is coaching Michigan football in 2022? 64% or about two thirds of you believe it will be. As I do, Jim Harbaugh, one-third of you, a little bit more, 36%. Believe it will be someone else we shall see, but I do believe Jim Harbaugh will be back as Michigan's head coach next year, or this year now. That brings us to our feedback of the week from Andy Kilch, who says, you know, I don't blame Harbaugh for considering the NFL. U of M, he thinks, definitely hit their ceiling this year, have to go to Columbus next year. On the flip side, besides that the game, the schedule is easy. I mean, the Big Ten's going to announce a new uh, conference schedule here later this month, I'm told. Uh, and it's because they're going to have to switch a lot of games around from their locations over COVID. And right now you've got scheduling quirks. So like Michigan is finishing with the year with three straight road games. and not going to do that. So you're going to get a new conference schedule. Uh, it won't be entirely new because some teams have non-conference dates that are already locked in. Like Michigan's not going to play a Big Ten game uh, that opening week as the Big Ten uh, is trying to highlight that more often now. They've got non-conference games locked in the next three weeks, so that won't change. But you're going to see a whole new conference schedule in the Big Ten here in the next few weeks. But if you look at the slate of opponents Michigan's playing, it is absolutely the overall weakest slate of opponents I can ever remember Michigan playing in a season. And I go back to 1985. I, I cannot – I mean, there's, it's really like a, a, a three-game season – at Iowa, and you assume as long as that's not in November, that'll be played at night probably. Um, and it's never easy to play at Kinnick at night. Uh, Penn State at home, Michigan State at home, and at Ohio State. So a four-game season. In the other eight games, I mean, Michigan's going to be two, three, four touchdown favorites in all the rest of those games. So even if you just split those four games, you're 10-2 and two and playing in a New Year's Six Bowl somewhere, to me, as a minimum. So uh, I don't know that Michigan hit its ceiling. It could very well have. And if its ceiling is winning the Big Ten, you know, and playing in the college football playoff, I'm totally okay with that. I mean, I'd love to win a national championship, but, you know, I grew up in the bow years and enjoyed those quite a bit without winning one. So, but in terms of next year's schedule, boy, howdy. Yeah, it's charm and soft for sure. That's going to do it for this week's Michigan podcast. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, share, five-star review, however, whichever applies to however, whichever way you watch or listen, whether it's right here on YouTube or uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, the podcast version of the program. You can also follow us on Twitter to keep up to date on what we think all things maize and blue at Michigan Podcast. Until the next time, we'll be right here. Go Blue.